Mike Storm, and together we aim to solve cybersecurity challenges one principle at a time. The only way to be unhackable is to outwit the attacker. Deception is the method. Knowledge of how to deceive is the means. Taking your security personally is the motivation. This is Unhackable, your security podcast about deception and personal security. Target acquired. Let's go. Hey, Unhackable fans, welcome to this Unhackable minicast about safer use of public Wi-Fi. Now, I'm talking about unsecured or open public Wi-Fi here. The Wi-Fi connections, which require no authentication, like the connections you might find in most places that you go publicly where you don't really have to interact with anyone in order to get online. No password is required or anything like that. Wi-Fi is so pervasive these days that we kind of expect to be connected 24-7, 365 anyway. And these business owners know that it's good for business to provide simple, open Wi-Fi for everyone to use while in their shop, in the public spaces, or wherever you may be. Convenience and connectivity always leads to further use. And, of course, people like simple. That said, I will start with a disclaimer that using secure Wi-Fi, that is Wi-Fi connections that include comprehensive security controls like multi-factor authentication, various encryption and security exchange protocols configured on those devices and so forth, are not really the target of this discussion. However, if you walk into your local coffee shop and can simply connect to their public Wi-Fi without being prompted for at least a password, then the content of this episode is for you. As you can imagine, our digital assets like phones and portable devices contain our entire world of information. Everything we do is on these devices, and in some cases, what's on your phone may be your identity. And in many cases, everything we care about is actually stored there. With all of this data being in one place, a bad actor understands how valuable this type of a target is. The bigger issue surrounds, though, where a compromise of one of these devices could actually lead to an escalated compromise of everything from direct access to your bank, your banking info, credit, credentials, cloud storage, you know, shopping information, maybe even your very personal or private information that you might store there. To put this in perspective, let's tell a little story. Imagine you're traveling somewhere unfamiliar to you and realize you lost your phone. Well, now what? Well, it's not just your lifeline of communication, but imagine that you realized how and where you lost it. You had it open, you were browsing something on a shelf and literally just walked away from it. So it isn't locked. You've lost it in a way where if somebody picked it up, they could potentially use your phone as if they were you. Maybe log into your bank, post your personal videos and pictures wherever they want, access your social media programs, maybe even send a tweet which could potentially damage your reputation. How would this make you feel? As a test of vulnerability, when it's safe to do so, go ahead and put your phone in airplane mode and browse around for a while through your apps and files and pictures. What can you see? You have to imagine that whatever you can see in airplane mode, the thief could have seen and not been online. Now, try plugging it into a computer. Were you prompted for credentials when you did so? Well, maybe. It depends how you have your security configured on devices, but in most cases, no. So imagine now that you are the person who found your phone. You're kind of acting that out right now. It's unlocked. It's open. You saw all of these things. This is what a thief has access to if you lose your phone. Feeling vulnerable yet, or maybe just a bit freaked out? Well, that's the point of this episode. You see, most people think that when they use public Wi-Fi, they're only vulnerable if they send personal information over the link. The classic scenario would be accessing your bank or credit files while on an insecure Wi-Fi link. Most people get that. But what most people don't understand is the level of simplicity involved for a bad actor to literally take everything on your phone or device without you having any idea that it just happened. 
Let's say you connect to public Wi-Fi at your favorite coffee shop or airport, and then just sit there doing nothing, maybe having a conversation with someone nearby for 10 minutes or so. While you did nothing, you could have been a victim of someone stealing all of your information all at once without you knowing. So as an idea, for those of you with a standard 64 gig smartphone, note that it takes only about 12 minutes to download all 64 gigs of data over the typical public Wi-Fi link that you would find at an airport, a coffee shop, and so on. Over 5G, it's even less, only about seven minutes. Then, of course, if the thief feels like it, they could easily drop some code on your phone to make it reload, which would nicely cover their tracks. Maybe even allow them to sneak out of the shop you're in while you sit there staring at your device wondering why it just rebooted. Or even worse, they could drop malware on your device to make it cease functioning altogether. There's a lot of other potential things they can do that I don't even want to get into here. This is the point. The capability of the enemy should never be underestimated. Remember, they aren't doing this for fun. Data has passed gold as the most valuable commodity on the planet. This was a few years ago. And as such, our data has been harvested, collected, modeled, and monetized. You have to think like that. The data on your phone or laptop is worth more than seven times its weight in gold. So for those of you out there that walk around constantly with a bar of gold in your pocket, well, you've just been duped. Data is worth more, and every bad actor knows it. So how about yet another scenario? How much is your business or company's data worth? Now, most people think, yeah, I connect to the public airport or coffee shop Wi-Fi, but then I immediately load my VPN connection. It only takes a few seconds for that to happen, so surely I'm not open for 12 minutes and all of my data is encrypted. Well, sure, the data that you transmit and receive with your company's VPN connection is encrypted. But what about the Wi-Fi radio? This is the technology that connects you to the Wi-Fi hotspot in the first place. It must communicate with the hotspot constantly to maintain its connection and therefore can still be accessed even while a VPN is running for everything else. This becomes an attack vector. Besides direct access to the Wi-Fi controls, a bad actor could also hijack your Wi-Fi's radio connection to the hotspot directly through a variety of tactics that are mostly invisible to the end user. One very popular one is to falsely advertise the hotspot you're connecting to. This is called SSID spoofing and is super easy to do using downloadable free tools off of the internet. Thus, the hotspot name appears to be legitimate by name or otherwise, and once you connect, you've actually connected to the attacker first, and the attacker becomes an intermediary system. And sure, they will connect you through to the legitimate free Wi-Fi hotspot you were expecting to connect to eventually, so you aren't alerted that something is going on, but not before all of your data passes through their system, allowing them to capture all of your encrypted and unencrypted transmissions. Now, they can then take it with them for cracking on their own time. As long as it takes, no one's going to be watching. Hacking tools available for free online make this entire process very easy, even for users with limited technical know-how. There are many ways this type of attack can be implemented with some of these free tools, and one of the easiest and simplest is just to emulate a BootP or DHCP server. This is the system that gives you an IP address after you join a Wi-Fi network. By being the first one to respond with an IP address to a new association, the attacker can actually give you an IP address off-network, which then uses their system as the network gateway, connecting to the Wi-Fi network you intended to join. Even though this is a very old technology, it's still very pervasive today. Not only can they become the point of data intercept, meaning everything you send and receive they get a copy of, but also, you're now on their network, and they can easily begin to steal the data on your device using a similar scenario we already described. 
There is one more that I want everyone to be aware of. This is called airport network intercept. So let's imagine we get on a plane while we were in the airport before boarding. We were normally still connected to our home network cellular service, 4G, 5G, whatever. Then the airplane personnel has you enable airplane mode, which shuts off your cellular radio. Your Wi-Fi can continue to function. So for the same reasons we already talked about, be aware of free airplane Wi-Fi. But there's an even bigger threat that most people don't know about when the airport is your first point of connectivity after being in the air, out of range, once you land. In fact, how many of you immediately turn off airplane mode as soon as you land? 30 emails are received, maybe a bunch of text messages that you missed while you were in airplane mode, social media notifications, and so on. Maybe you even make that quick call to let someone know you've arrived. Yeah, I get it. I understand. It's very common human nature. Such a common thing, no one suspects that there could be a danger. We know that our carrier network is much more secure than public Wi-Fi, right? Indeed. However, what if I told you that you aren't connecting directly to your carrier until you get to the airport boundary, basically offsite of the airports or at least to the fringes where a signal from a primary carrier may be strongest? Most airports, especially airports that fly international routes, actually host local cell towers on site as intermediaries to cover the airport grounds safely, and they're usually the towers that you connect to first. They then relay you to your home carrier. So until you get far enough off-site or at least within a stronger signal range to be picked up by an actual carrier network tower directly, these cell towers have the potential to become similar to that attacker that hijacked your connection before they connected you to the real Wi-Fi network. And while I'm not intending to say whatsoever that there is malicious intent with these networks, it has always made me wonder what would happen if an attacker or nation state had some control of an airport cell tower something that I might be using when I get off the plane. Maybe they're just snooping the connections. My advice, if possible, wait that extra 15 minutes after landing to get off site before turning off airplane mode on a personal smartphone. Or even better, you could use a dedicated travel phone, a burner phone, whatever you want to call it. Nothing on it as far as personal data, outside of the numbers that you need to call when you travel and so forth. Super inexpensive and literally disposable if compromised. Now, I personally discovered the value of a travel phone once when I was on a trip where my phone got literally destroyed on day one of my long trip. Initially, I felt completely lost. But then I thought about it for a bit. I decided, you know, I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to get a $20 page you go smartphone, which I used the entire time. I learned a great lesson that week. Life wasn't over when I couldn't use my smartphone, but I did get smarter about how to adapt. But I get it. It isn't always possible to not use your phone after disembarking a plane, but at least you know the potential for access or compromise and may be able to minimize the frequency of exposure. Even if you wait to turn off airplane mode on just half of your trips for that extra 15 minutes, you have reduced your potential exposure significantly. Now, through all of this, I haven't been giving any credit to Wi-Fi vendors and their diligent efforts to get in front of these types of attacks and vectors. Not because they haven't mostly mitigated a majority of these potential vectors that we've discussed, but more so because on a public, open, and insecure Wi-Fi, you just don't know who makes that system, what the system is capable of as far as detection and security controls, and certainly you have no idea how it's been configured and if all of the security controls are even working, if they're enabled, or if potentially a compatibility mode has been activated for more compatibility with older devices. Well, 
many of these compatibility options do in fact disable some of the more advanced security controls that would be there to prevent some of these types of takeovers. This is why some operating systems will produce warnings if you're on a secure network, if the system feels that the security isn't as strong as it could be, for example, such as using an old type of encryption. So with all of the credit due to the many vendors out there, including Cisco, that have added security controls, standards, and otherwise to defeat these types of attacks, we have to go about our life pretending that we're always connecting only to the dime store Wi-Fi brand with no security and no ability to protect us. That's the only way to know for sure. Assume we're always at risk and, of course, act accordingly. Our own protection is ultimately up to us. So now that we understand what the threat is, what would be some of the best practices for protecting ourselves on open, insecure, dime store Wi-Fi networks? Believe it or not, encryption, like you would see with a VPN, is still atop the list. But let's break down some details on best practices overall. Really, for insecure Wi-Fi, best practices can be broken down into three categories. Connectivity, software, and your own behaviors. From a connectivity perspective, make sure your devices are configured to have to ask you before they connect, basically not auto-connecting to Wi-Fi. But when they do ask you, make sure you pick a secure network, which will normally have some indicator like a lock icon, the word secured, something along those lines. But remember, this only indicates that that connection has implemented some security controls and will typically require at least a password to connect. It doesn't mean that everything's protected, so don't get too overconfident here. Insecure networks normally do not have a lock icon or something along those lines. Now, keep in mind, various devices will produce different types of information based upon the network connection that you're connecting to. On an iPhone, if you click an unsecured network, for instance, you get a warning that will say security recommendation. It's always important that you connect to a network that at least involves a password to connect. And the password, usually provided by the hotspot host, maybe from a purchase counter where you're buying your coffee, a membership like boingo.com, or even the front desk at a hotel when you check in. These are just a few examples. But it's always best to stick to hotspots where the provider has to provide you with an obvious network name plus a password to be able to grant access and maybe even some instructions if they're using an authentication portal then you know at least you're on the network you intended to connect to, and then it's much more difficult for a bad actor to spoof all of these things at the same time. Well, it can still be done, though. We can't put anything past the attacker. So one of my favorite options for both security and, in fact, reliability is I use my own hotspot. If you're connecting with your laptop to do some work while waiting for your plane, for instance, most all smartphones can become their own hotspot. When you turn it up, Wi-Fi is disabled and the device is connected only through the direct cellular carrier network, 4G, 5G, and so on, which we know to be more secure in the first place. They're taking care of the security and we know that it's on. You connect your laptop to this hotspot, you VPN through this connection instead. You own it, you control it, you know it's yours. I've actually found when traveling that my own cell phone hotspot is sometimes more reliable than most of the hotel Wi-Fi options and even some airports. And while it will typically start to dog out after I connect one or two devices, it works perfect for work while traveling, video calls, things like this to run my VPN. Since most cell phone providers offer unlimited data these days, personal hotspots are beginning to make a lot of sense if your phone has a good connection. That is the key to this, by the way. A good connection indicates good throughput.
I personally like to have some fun and name my hotspot after names of high visibility threats like Crypto Wall or WannaCry, and then have a very complex randomly generated password that's only known in my password manager. These are practices from episode one, the authentication principle. These personal hotspots can even give you control of which devices can connect. So you can pre-program just your laptop's MAC address, for instance, so no one else can even attempt to use it. MAC address, by the way, is one of the first parameters that's actually seen by a Wi-Fi controller during association, so everything else would be blocked. Now, for more advanced use cases, there are other options. There is a standard out there called Hotspot 2.0. This is known as Wi-Fi Certified Passpoint. Hotspot 2.0 is really a method to help people not only get connected to hotspots securely, but really then roam between secure hotspots, pretty much like you would roam between cell phone towers. But it's only hotspots that support the common passpoint, which is similar to how your cell phone does this. Only will connect to certified towers, if you will, and that's really the, the key to this. This is supported on most smartphones today. It's also supported on computer platforms. It uses local credentials to access the passpoint, and then it's able to connect only to certified systems. So it's kind of like having an encrypted Wi-Fi membership card. That means you enter credentials only once, and now you're automatically connected when you roam to other Wi-Fi 2.0 hotspots where you know, you're logged in automatically and securely, giving you that, that element of secure Wi-Fi roaming. This technology is based upon 802.11u. And if you like a good cryptic technical read, I would highly suggest Googling this one and see how this technology works. It's pretty interesting. There's other services out there, too, more like a membership service like Boingo, for instance. Uh, great service. I am a member, but I do find that I cannot always locate a Boingo hotspot everywhere I go. You'll find the same potential for dead zones with hotspot 2.0. So, you know, using my cell phone as my hotspot is still my favorite option. So let's move into the next category of software best practices. Now, there is a list here. I won't go into a ton of detail, but most of these are inherently self-explanatory anyway. So here goes. Keep your browser up to date. Keep apps and software current. Check for and insist on only encrypted browsing to sites that are using SSL TLS, which is the standard for secure web browsing encrypted exchange. This is normally indicated by HTTPS in the URL. And if you're having issues, there's also browser add-ons or plugins that can help to ensure that the connection is secure. Force TLS and HTTPS everywhere are free Firefox add-ons, for example, that force the browser to use encryption on popular websites that usually aren't encrypted. So that's a really good one. They still don't protect you on all websites, though, so make sure you're looking for that HTTPS in the URL to know the site is encrypted. To that end, also be mindful of warnings on sites that you're visiting. If you get a message that the site may not be secure, pay attention. I wouldn't go there. Wait until you're back on a known network, especially if you're getting a certificate or security warning on sites that you normally don't. This is an indicator that something is amiss and you really need to pay attention to it. Additional best practices in software involve using VPN to encrypt your communication channel, but don't forget that some data channels may still be open locally. It's always recommended to have local EDR anti-malware security software installed on the device. Cisco offers, for example, the Cisco Secure Endpoint Agent to protect the endpoint entirely so that the device you're on doesn't get compromised through one of these non-VPN channels. Imagine if your system was compromised and taken over while you were connected over your corporate VPN, you just gave an attacker direct access to your business and potentially gave them access as you. 
This is what endpoint security software can do for you. And I'm not talking antivirus now, a complete endpoint detection and response solution. That's what EDR stands for, endpoint detection and response. This is normally provided by your business's IT department, and they normally manage it as well. But it's good to check with IT for the existence of this, as well as any policies they might have in place for their users. When you're using a public Wi-Fi network, they may have some of their own requirements as well. So lastly, from a behavioral standpoint, there are a few things you can do of a lot, but these are the key ones to ensure that you're reducing your risk. The first one, don't access personal or financial information while connected to public Wi-Fi. Back to that original scenario that everyone understands. Always assume a public Wi-Fi network isn't secure. Again, using your own hotspot here is a huge benefit, can increase your protection, and could eliminate this behavior altogether. Also, only log in or send personal information to websites you know are fully encrypted, and try to use multi-factor authentication wherever it's offered. To be secure on a website, your entire visit to each site should be encrypted, meaning that the URL starts with HTTPS and stays that way from the time you log into the site until you actually log out. If you think you're logged into an encrypted site but find yourself on an unencrypted page, log out right away, close it, whatever you have to do, but get away. The other thing, don't stay permanently signed into accounts. So when you finished using an account, log out. You see, a lot of people, what they do is they just close their laptop at home, they go to the airport, they open it back up, all of those existing browser connections, all of those existing apps that are connected, when a new network connection tries to be established, that means a new authentication has to happen from that existing page or app that was left logged in. And because the browser and some of these apps can sometimes be misconfigured to store these credentials, all of a sudden that means that unknowingly it's attempting to re-authenticate you when you attach to a new network and suddenly you're breaking the number one rule you're sending credentials unnecessarily over the public connection and you don't even know it. So try to log out. Log out will keep you safe. Also, do not reuse credentials. Now, we discussed this in episode one. Basically, don't use the same password on different websites. This could easily give someone who gains access to one of your accounts access to many of your accounts. You may remember credential theft and credential stuffing from the authentication, authentication. principle episode. This is a very real threat. So as a review, always consider a public link to be insecure and act accordingly. Pay attention to your connection options and your behaviors while connected. Your own hotspot is a great way to mitigate many of the issues of public Wi-Fi. Keep your software up to date and use encryption wherever feasible, but ensure that all web transactions are using HTTPS. If using a VPN to your business over a public hotspot, be sure you have local endpoint security software installed to prevent a local endpoint compromise from becoming an expansive data breach of your organization. Being mindful of what you click on and using MFA will also be key to your safety. Check out Unhackable Episode 1 and Episode 2 for more information on these topics. While we can never be completely unhackable, we can increase our awareness of the attacker's capabilities, motivations, and seek to understand how we can change our daily practices to make us a harder target and make our information harder to steal. In the infamous words of Sun Tzu, the greatest victory is that which requires no fighting. I hope that you find these techniques useful on Unhackable, solving cybersecurity challenges with grit, one principle at a time. This is Mike Storm, and until next time, this is Unhackable. Thanks for listening.